business is just a giant problem-solving system. I mean, every sale is a solution to somebody's problem or an addition to the identity that they already have, correct? So let's, in fact, probably easier to answer just by going through the seven stages so you can imagine it in picture. Picture like a staircase with seven steps. If you're walking up the stairs, you want your feet on maybe, depending on how fast you walk, one, two, three steps. Like you're probably not gonna be taking seven step leaps. Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Growth Pod. As always, I'm your host, Alan Draper. Very excited that you're spending time with me today. I know your time is very valuable. Today, I would like to welcome to the show, Preston Brown. Preston is a serial entrepreneur. He has a bunch of businesses. He has 18 successful businesses, actually, that generate $200 million in annual revenue. That is crazy. Preston advises hundreds of CEOs and entrepreneurs on how to grow and scale their companies. He's also a highly sought after speaker with a passion for sharing his insight, expertise. Welcome to the show, Preston. Glad to have you. Thanks, Alan. Glad to be here. And I love that intro because every time anybody hears 200 million, they're like, oh my God, that's big. Hey, one of my businesses is production home building. And I like to tell everybody revenue is vanity. Profits are sanity. I know a lot of home builders yeah. don't have that profit piece. They might have the revenue piece, but you need both. So, I mean, anytime anybody says a big number, make sure that they've got some net profits to back up that gross revenue number. I think that's such an interesting perspective because as businesses, we want to emphasize the things that we're really good at. I think that's natural. And when you say $200 million, that's, you know, it raises eyebrows for sure. And even though I have a buddy that he owns a solar power company, right? So his gross margin is relatively small. He has a very high, very large, you know, cost of services or cost of goods sold, whatever. And, but that being said, if you're doing 200 million in revenue, even though you have a really high cost of goods sold, it's still a lot of work because you have vendors to pay and there's a lot that goes into it. It's, you know, I own a digital marketing agency and ours is really high because of Google bills, right? AdWords. Mm -hmm. That's a really large uh, line item for us that doesn't even get us to our gross profit. So that's very commendable. Let's talk about some of your companies. So you just mentioned that you build homes. Yeah, that's probably my largest net profit company is production home, not profit, definitely. And then I've I've done what's called vertical integration, but I've also done horizontal sure. integration. So we have the brokerage, we have the title company, we have a property management company for when we're keeping our own real estate. And then, of course, we farm that out to customers. Oh, gosh, we have a home warranty company. We have a wholesaling company that we acquire assets. If they're really easy, we keep them. We rent them out. We throw them in property management. If they're not easy, we wholesale them off. And we have a hard money lending company, so we provide the financing. We also have different companies that do lots of the parts of construction where we either distribute materials or manufacture materials. And gosh, let's see, I, a few years ago, I launched a coaching company with a friend. I got sued by Tony Robbins. That put me on everybody's radar. Yes, it got settled. Everybody's friendly again. But that was the best marketing ever. So now I have a coaching and travel company. Like we do travel, we do events, we do coaching all over the world. And, and so that was kind of an accidental business. And 
And what was fun about that one is I was teaching the fundamentals from my other ones that were all vertically and horizontally aligned to real estate. And I was like, oh God, okay, coaching is the exact same. It's the exact same formula. Every business has one goal, just one, efficiency. There's three ways to get there. Alignment, simplicity, and foresight. Alignment and simplicity are like these two twin sisters of what I would call optimization. Foresight, I mean, that's more of your kind of innovation piece, right? Like you, you don't know where you're going. The most important tool you have in a vehicle is the front window. Like if you don't look out the front window and you're going 90 miles an hour, I don't care where you're going, you're going to die, right? So, yeah. like, so there's foresight, which can, you know, as your business gets larger, turn into forecasting. But if you can balance alignment, simplicity, and hmm. foresight, you can achieve efficiency. And efficiency at every stage of the business is a goal, but it changes. A startup has efficiency. We were kind of mentioning the seven stages of business development. The startup, when you're in the startup phase, which is the second phase, your efficiency is how do I make the most impact? Go viral. Get out there. Get loud. Show people what's going on. Not necessarily make money immediately, although that is eventually the goal. I need to make impact so that I can have brand, I can have marketing, and I can have sales. People think they're the same thing. They are not the same thing. Like mm-hmm. if you look at like marketing, it's like find out what they want, go get it, give it to them, right? Like if you look at sales, find out who they want, become that person, give it to them. If you're looking at brand, find out why they want it because then you're connecting with them on a deeper level. They become this raving fan. They start pushing you. And so all of these things started translating across all companies. So I started making like formulas out of them. I was like, hmm, what will this not work on? And now I've coached well over a thousand people. Hmm. And it's worked on everyone. Like every single person that implements this stuff, it works. And so I'm like, oh God, we unlocked the Rosetta Stone for business. Like any any business can succeed. Anyone can get rich. You just have to follow the formula. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I talk about this a lot. Like as human beings, we're aware of just general natural laws that govern our world, right? If I go to, you know, the roof of my house and I reach over and I drop a pen, we know what's going to happen. It's going to fall and hit the ground. If if I eat more calories than I burn, I'm going to gain weight. There's certain things like that. And I think, you know, sometimes Preston, as individuals, we don't realize as business owners and people that are trying to become financially savvy, that there are also those types of laws that govern accumulation of wealth and business. And so it sounds like you've learned what some of those laws are. Some of those well, systems and you, you've seen them be learning. replicated <laughs> and now you can teach them to others. Yeah, I've learned some of them. I've learned the first seven stages. I think there's probably a few more stages because business is not necessarily what makes you happy. Like most of my really wealthy philanthropist friends start going on this kind of hippie journey after that. I have not gotten there yet. I have not started studying the hippie <laughs> journey that comes after you become that <laughs> investor philanthropist. Yeah. Like, the last stage is like, hey, how do I invest in the right things to get those like tax abatements? How do I, you know, give to the charities that I want to give back in? But then there's this next stage after that. And I think you have to kind of balance your faith, your family, your fitness, your finance. I haven't learned it all, still studying that stuff. And so I've learned seven of the stages all about how to make a lot of money and how to keep a lot of the money. But, but I think there's more and I'm still playing at learning the next ones after that. I can only teach to the, to the seven. I actually talk a lot, Preston, about these kind of four stages of I call it development for individuals who are on a wealth or this professional journey, right? And I spend a lot of time talking about business and money, even though there are five other areas of my life that are very important to me. And three of them are more important than either of those. My physical health, my mental health, four actually, my family life and my spiritual life. But in terms of kind of this journey that we're on with wealth or with our professional life, 
I look at there being like four essential stages. You talk about this like hippie stage. I actually call that the legacy. So I think we start on our path. It's all about survival. Hey, if, it, if I can't keep my head above water, if I can't keep food on the table, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. It reminds me of Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. He's, he was a psychologist and he talked about how it doesn't matter if you can't breathe, nothing else matters, right? And, and, and I kind of correlate that with developing wealth and kind of this business kind of entrepreneurship path. Next is kind of the prestige. Like after you're able to kind of meet your needs, then it's like, okay. And some people skip this stage over, but it's like, hey, I kind of get to show off a little bit. I get, you know, to drive a nice car, live in a nice house, whatever, kind of the comforts of life. After that, freedom. Like, hey, am I truly free? Do I have to do this anymore? Could I go live on a beach and never work again? And then that fourth stage, which I think you were kind of getting at, and maybe it's a little different, but that's what I call legacy. After a while, people are like, okay, I have all the freedom I want. Now what? You know, yeah. you see Bill Gates, you see a lot of these really wealthy entrepreneurs that are like, just start giving away so much. And some of them, Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, I think is one of them, Elon Musk have kind of committed to giving away everything before they die. I agree with you. I'd say it's kind of legacy. It's kind of immortality. It's kind of impact. It's this, it's this mix. I mean, we're not going to live forever, but if you go look at the Rockefeller Foundation, there's exactly. still doing good things in the world, right? Like, exactly. so there's an immortality to the name. And that part, like, I, I always joke, I'm new money. I've, I've been in business 15 years. I've done phenomenally well in that time. But at 41, I got a whole lot more time to go figure out the other steps. And so I'm, I'm eager to explore those. But, but on efficiency, th this is where I see most entrepreneurs getting stuck. And with the business growth podcast being like what you're doing, like, would, would you agree that it's folks not being able to underwrite how to be efficient in the stages that they're in? Like almost like a baby growing up. When, yeah, when I, think that's, born, I think that's, I think that's the same life as a 35 year old. And you definitely don't have the same life as a 17 year old. Like every different stage has different requirements. Yeah, I no, I, I agree with that 100%. And I think when you're, you know, a lot of my audience, they are startup entrepreneurs. So they're people that are trying to figure out whether they're going to pull the trigger on their business up until they're a couple of years in. And those folks, there's so many issues. And one of the reasons why I love the startup phase is because of the growth that occurs there. I honestly think, I mean, all companies should be growing or they're dying. But you grow more with starting a business in those first couple of years than at any other time in the journey, in my opinion. So definitely they have to figure out those efficiencies as you, as you call them, especially with a few things. Now, what are some of those things for beginning entrepreneurs, Preston? You're talking about these efficiencies for business owners and entrepreneurs. What is it particularly for them that they should be working on? Okay, so it's always problem solving. Business is just a giant problem solving system. I mean, every sale is a solution to somebody's problem or an addition to the identity that they already have, correct? So let's, in fact, probably easier to answer just by going through the seven stages. So you can imagine it in picture. Picture like a staircase with seven steps. If you're walking up the stairs, you want your feet on maybe, depending on how fast you walk, one, two, three steps. Like you're probably not going to be taking seven step leaps. Now, I've met entrepreneurs that are on six or seven steps, and you can imagine them doing the splits across that. Okay. So step one is the non-start, the entrepreneur, the guy that hasn't even got in yet. He's got a plan. He's got an idea. He has to solve the problem of what I call the three P's. Okay. And it's, it's kind of this litmus test for getting into a business. He's got mainly a mindset issue. There's something holding him back. 
And when he can achieve these three Ps and figure it out, he's going to be able to start and take a risk and jump in. Okay, So the entrepreneur has to solve this problem and learn the litmus test, which is you have to understand productivity, profitability, and purpose. And this is a really confusing area because every guru out there tells you you've got to hustle your way to success. And that's BS because hustles effect, passions cause. You know, I always use this analogy and it will stick in your mind, maybe a little bit vulgar. My wife walks into the room and says, hey, baby, come here. I don't have to hustle. There's not one part of me that thinks, oh, I got to hustle. No, I'm passionate. I'm in love with her, right? So passion causes hustle. So that's purpose. Purpose creates passion. Two, productivity. If it's not moving, you cannot measure it. If you don't have a plan for where you go, what you do, at later stages, we call these KPIs. But just individually, when you're starting, that's productivity, right? And then profitability. If, you're, if you haven't started yet, there's no profit, but you have to at least have a profit plan. There has to be, a, I can acquire four and I can sell or dispose of four. And there's more here than there was there. It doesn't even have to be complex, but it has to make financial sense. When you get through those three Ps, then you said, hey, this can work. And just, just that this can work, that's enough. If you can get over the next stage of I can work it, the mindset issue, then you move into startup. Okay, now startup. Startup's such a fun face. Like, I love startups. Like, I, I still do a startup every few years. I'm doing a startup events company right now just because I've never tried one, and it's new. And I'm doing kind of a startup on my own social media that we just launched. We've added a few hundred thousand followers and hit new walls. So that's a different business that we're playing. Mm-hmm. But startups are awesome. It is all about, like, if, if – so you don't grow an efficient business. You grow an inefficient business, and then you refine it down to efficiency. So startup is all about, I need to get moving, I need to get loud, I need to be fast, marketing is noise, I need to get attention, and I need people to see what I'm doing, I have to have enough value in my purpose that's really probably my purpose, that the customers can see my dream, my idea, my brand, my identity, my solution, my culture, and they, they say, oh, that works for me. And then as I'm starting, I can refine that in once I've got some revenue generation to turn it into one of the next stages, which we'll go into in a second. But it's it's all about moving, building that efficiency, getting loud, getting moving, getting sales. It's a race for survival. It's a race for cash. It's all of these different things, right? Once you're passing startup, so like I'm in, it's working, somebody's paying me, that's measurable, right? Like I'm making enough to feed myself at least. Then you go into the next one, which is called operational entrepreneur. Hey, it worked. You got a business. Normally here, you're probably starting to get like maybe a secretary. You've got more throughput coming in than you can handle on your own. So you're like, oh, shoot, I've got to learn that this is not a spectator sport. So an operational entrepreneur, this is a team sport. I've got to build a team. So you start getting a team. You start putting together the people. But operational entrepreneurs, they they are suffering from what Pavlov's dog will teach you. (laughs) Every time you ring the bell, they come. And guess what? You just became incredibly exceptional when you opened a business and became a startup and got profitable. And that is what will get you in. Now you have to completely reverse course and go to optimal. And Hmm. optimal feels nothing like exceptional. You have to start getting a team, training the people. You can't be all people-centered and you can't be all outcome-centered. You have to create this mixed bag. You have to create this culture. So you start hiring and adding folks and managing them and measuring them and doing all these things. And you don't want to fall into the trap of jumping into new opportunities. Most people that get to operational entrepreneur, they add a new department. They start a second business. Now they've got two jobs and their time is pulled. Okay. So that's like the big trap at operational entrepreneur. You get into a stage called entrepreneur when you've hired what I call a DO, which, you know, spells do. 
but it's also director of operations. Mm-hmm. I meet mm-hmm. more people with like a CEO and five employees. And I'm like, it's chief executive officer. Which one of the other four people is an executive? None. Like they're all working. Yeah. Please don't call them that. Like call yeah. them you because they're doing what you used to do. Exactly. Okay? And so that operational entrepreneur graduates to entrepreneur when they have a do. It's a small enough business that that do can generally manage it. And now at entrepreneur, you have a new problem and it's revenue. Because guess what that do is going to do? They're going to have an office, have insurance, make exactly. sure you've got a good payroll company. So you've added all these expenses and you have a new problem. You've increased capacity, but you better master the art of selling. Because if, if you went through these stages quickly, you have the same revenue that you probably had at operational entrepreneur, maybe even startup late stages with a lot of expenses. So you're like, okay, I have an asset, but I'm poor. What the hell? This sucks. I thought I was getting in business to be free, but there's no freedom here. So you have to master yeah. scaling. Scaling is what it's normally a pivot. Like if you're a home flipper, you might pivot into hard money lending or home building. So there's normally a pivot. Not that you can't keep the old one, but you need a regenerative growth model that you can scale. So a lot of times at this stage, when you're going into what I call operational megapreneur, which is the next step, you have a pivot. And then two, mastering the art of scaling. You have to master it in four stages and build a regenerative model. Getting into entrepreneur, you increased what I call capacity. Okay, there's four flows in a business. There's lead flow, sales flow, delivery flow, and cash flow. So you've increased throughput capability by adding these people, adding these processes, adding a CRM, doing all that, adding those expenses. Now you need to increase sales. So that is the first one. You need a regenerative model where you're measuring cost of customer acquisition and getting sales into that flow. And then it's got to be regenerative. Okay. Two, then once you've done sales, you do brand. Brand is, this is, so many people miss this. You have to build a regenerative follow-up process. And this is when you're building a brand, like if you remember what I said, find out what they want, go get it. That's marketing. Find out who they need. Be that person. That's sales. Find out why they want it. That's brand. That's hmm. finding out what really made the deal for this person. What was it? If you're a home builder, did you have a three-car garage? Somebody had a two? If uh, you had this amenity or this or this or somebody else did this or their sales process pissed them off. You want to find out why anyone bought anything other than your stuff, and you want to find out why they bought your stuff. So now you're increasing brand, and just by them knowing you care, this is a secondary increase to sales because you start getting a referral benefit when you do the brand piece, okay? Next, now you're all of a sudden starting to have more throughput coming through those four flows of capacity. You have to start scaling margin. What does that mean? Raise price. It's real simple. Raise the price. And... That will push off some of the folks, but it will also increase brand. Again, just like brand increased sales, increasing margin, people have a higher perceived value, will brag about it more, will improve your brand. Then you go back and you do capacity again. And you keep going through these four steps as you're scaling. And you'll see top line go up. Expenses will increase a little bit, but they won't increase a lot. Your Hmm. bottom line number, your cash flow will will go up a lot. And this is going to happen. This is going to happen. It's going to be Several times you repeat these four stages as you're developing every time into a larger structured company. At one point, you're going to have to realize, hey, it's time for another stage. There's another trap here. There's another thing you learn in Operational Megapreneur. And that's that at some stage there is, hey, top line went up again as you're going through those four steps. Only now expenses went up a lot more than they had in the previous four or five cycles. And that indicates there's leaky buckets. Your system, your team, your people, your processes cannot handle it. You are about to enter a new stage, and almost every operational megapreneur I meet fails at this one. 
They start firing people on their team. They start trying to clean up. They start adding a new CRM. All these things that probably don't matter as much as you had a management system that was good for an entrepreneur or an operational megapreneur. You have to start moving into your C-suite executives and, and you can't promote one. Like I've been able in all my years in billions of dollars in revenue now to figure out how to train one C-suite executive. And I had I not done that, it was the dumbest thing I ever did. I'd be 10 times richer. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit, Preston, about this idea of integration, right? I get this quite a bit. People will come to me and they notice that I have businesses in different industries, although I have, you know, I've crossed over in different industries because of integration. When does an entrepreneur know that they're ready to do that, to kind of cross over so that their core business you know, they can they can kind of get some of that margin that they're paying to somebody else in their core business. Okay. So, and you're asking a perfectly timed question because we're at the megapreneur phase. So the C-suite executives are your replacements. You generally are going to start with an operations officer or a financial officer, whichever one you're weaker at. Okay. Because at this stage, you probably know how to read a balance sheet, an income statement, statement of cash flows. So you're pulling that time away from yourself. Once you want, like, so an operations officer is handling the operations. The CEO is handling innovations. There's generally two or three new things that you're adding, new things that you're doing. So if you're talking about, hey, I'm going to take this and I'm going to integrate it into another space, like, say, I want to add a pool servicing company, or I eventually want to make a pool manufacturing company. Hey, I'm going to open a coaching company. The real genius is you, and you have to have your time. So you either need to go out and get a COO that can handle all the operations that used to take the majority of your time, or maybe even if this is completely separate and it's a completely different industry and there's no tie over crossover, you're going to need a CEO to manage that. So you, you need to have this fully optimized. At Megapreneur, you will feel rich. You will start having your cash come out. You will have a new problem. It will be taxes. You have a new business partner. It's called IRS. I think it stands for I really suck. They take half your shit and they love to regulate on you all the time about it. And so you're going to be starting to say, how do I get into the next phase? That's learning about tax abatements. That's learning about going into new businesses where you have those wonderful things called expenses that like offset your taxation. It's learning about real estate and airplanes and other things that you can buy and, and, and you know, get bonus depreciation. But like the key to going into that integration, that other business to answer your question is time. You need time. It's the same genius that you had to to build this business. But the one critical thing that I see people needing most is the ability to be an adept learner. And if you have things being thrown at you from every angle, you're reacting to those things, not learning about the new thing. You know, oftentimes I hear people, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start another business. And I'm like, you're working in the three you have nonstop. That's like being a terrible parent of three kids and deciding to have a baby. Don't do that. So what's the solution? I mean, it's not like they're going to stop working on those businesses and clear up their schedule so that they can start this other business, right? The solution is don't start that other business. Optimize and automate your current one. So what, but for somebody that it's like, it's time. So you're saying like, hey, replace yourself with your current businesses. Stop working on those businesses. Then add that fourth one. Like, look, Alan, we're both men. Right. So at the end of the day, you know what happens if you or I retire, according to every insurance company everywhere that has any metrics on lifespan? If we retire, we die. We're two years from death. There's there's one to two years that the insurance companies will tell us that we have if we retire tomorrow. OK, 
Okay. Is that right? Yeah, we can't stop, dude. You're not going to stop. What you need to do is you need to get rid of the BS. Like, you need to not be pulled. You need to turn the business into an asset and have a well-optimized machine with the right reporting, with the right people, where everyone is a cog in a machine and the machine is running. I am completely unnecessary in all of my larger companies. In my smaller companies, I'm mainly functional now as a coach. I just happen to own the company and I coach the person that's running it for me. Does that make sense? And that's how I stay in my operational megapreneur stage and investor philanthropist stage while still playing in the smaller businesses and doing startups. That's an interesting perspective if, and I'm not sure, but I'm assuming you started, you you were the founder of those companies that you no longer, those larger companies. Yeah, most of them. One I bought when it was completely failed, like Zia Homes. Uh, they owed their trades $300,000. They couldn't pay their bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was so bad. I was friends with the seller. He said, dude, I'll, I'll give you 50 grand if you'll just take it. So he paid me to buy that company. Oh, and wow. I was able to go leverage Good debt deal. and then build out some houses and pay back all the bills. So most of them I've started from zero. That one I started from negative 250. <laughs> but all of them are the same. I think it's interesting, though, because some businesses mean more to us than others. And I don't know if that's like, yeah, I guess you can't really correlate that with children, right? But it's just true. There are some businesses that may not make me the most money, but I'm the most passionate about. And so I'm going to continue to, to work on those where there are others that I'm completely passive. So that's I think that's an interesting concept that you kind of get to that point where you're like, hey, I, I mean, surely you still review financials. There's got to be some, you sit on a board enough, something like that. Yeah. So I'll be honest, like I probably spend a few days working within Zia Homes a month. But for that one that's doing probably 150 million of the revenue I do, I'm not like three days a month is not a critical amount of time. Sure. I've got another company, Your Best Life, which is my coaching company. And I think I probably make a quarter million bucks a year on that company, maybe less sometimes. And I don't think we've ever made more than that. But it's my pet project. It's my fun. Like, I love helping entrepreneurs. So, yeah, I spend a lot of time coaching yeah, entrepreneurs. We, I have two we, partners. I don't we, make any money on it. Yeah, we know all about that. Like, just generating content and stuff. It, it's amazing that you know, that you spend years working on that and kind of, at least in my case, there's this hope of, you know, building this brand. You talked a lot about brand so that you become kind of this trusted voice in business, you Mm -hmm. know, coaching and things like that. Well, this, Preston, this conversation has gone too fast. Our time is up. Where can people reach out to you if they want to find out more about what you're doing and how you can help them? Either my website or my social media, they're all the same. It's the website's www.theprestonbrown.com. The social medias are all The Preston Brown. And we post on all of them daily. So if you want this content, it's all there. Love it. All right, man. Well, appreciate your time. Wish you nothing but the best in the future. Thanks for having me, Alan. Have a great day, man. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time.